I've been in the zoo profession over 30 plus years. I've never had an animal situation like what happened on Saturday. And frankly, Friday before last. So no, it's, it's totally unprecedented and, and very, very disturbing. That's the president and CEO of the Dallas Zoo, Greg Hudson. And Chris, they've had an unusual and frankly a pretty scary month. They really have, Mike. And just to get into where we are a little bit, we're based in Dallas. So we've been seeing this news over the last few weeks, and there's been a few incidents at the Dallas Zoo in January that raised some eyebrows. First, a clouded leopard escaped its habitat, and we found out after the fact that her habitat had actually been tampered with. Then about 10 days later, a 35-year-old endangered vulture was found dead with what zoo officials called an unusual wound. On Saturday morning, our animal care team discovered one of our lappet-faced vultures dead in its habitat. Uh, As is our normal procedure, our vet team conducted a gross necropsy, our version of an animal autopsy, on the bird to try and determine the cause of death. What we found was deemed to be very suspicious, which pointed to this not being a natural death. Now that's from a news conference at the Dallas Zoo. But here's the thing. These are not isolated incidents. We're talking giraffes, monkeys, even a gorilla. And we'll get to that in a moment. But seriously, every day it's like, what is going on at the zoo? Deaths are always difficult given how close our animal care teams are with the animals. But this one is particularly challenging for a couple of different reasons. Uh, obviously, this is an endangered species, which makes him all the more important to long-term sustainability of the vulture population. And we're also really disturbed by the idea that someone might have intentionally done this. Pin was a male lappet-faced vulture. Uh, he was at least 35 years old, but may have been older. He lived here at Dallas Zoo for 33 years, and a lot of our teams had worked closely with him for all of that time. So given the recent events, that have happened here at the zoo, the clouded leopard in particular from last Friday, and the suspicious nature of this animal's death, we alerted DPD. For me personally, the event of Saturday, if this related to anything that happened with clouded leopard before, definitely have crossed some sort of barrier that goes from being about malicious and, and gets into really criminal intent that is dangerous. We're extremely concerned about it. That's why we're, we've called in all the resources that we can, and we're gonna pull out as anything that we can do to, to be able to solve this and, and to nip it in the butt as quickly as possible. But they didn't. I was sitting at my desk working last week when I got a push alert that two monkeys at the zoo were missing and that foul play was suspected again. I couldn't believe a fourth incident took place. I know, right? And this was just the most recent of two monkey incidents at the Dallas Zoo, both of which, we're happy to say, had a happy ending. All of those monkeys were recovered. They're all doing fine. But what about the three giraffes that have died at the zoo? And Jabari the gorilla. Do you remember Jabari? I do. Jabari, he got out of his enclosure at the Dallas Zoo back in March of 2004. They had to call in the police, and the police wound up shooting Jabari, killing him. Primates are particularly good at getting out because they're clever. There's a famous case of an orangutan in the Omaha Zoo, which picked the lock to its enclosure. And the detail that I was stuck with me is that it kept a little wire for lock picking hidden in its mouth so that the keeper wouldn't see that it had this tool. Oh, my gosh. Really? Yeah. That is. That's pretty clever. That is amazing. That's unbelievable, but it also gets at something deeper and a little sad, right? It shows that some, not all, but some of the animals in zoos do want out. And you kind of can't blame them, right? I mean, even though some of them are actually better off than they probably would be in the wild, they want to be free. So here's what we did. We tracked down someone who really knows about zoos and whether they really are the best place for most animals. I'm Mike Rogers, and this is Something Offbeat. 
This week, environmental writer Emma Maris joined me to get into it. My view of zoos has changed a lot over the last few years, particularly because of researching this book, Wild Souls. And I used to go to zoos pretty frequently myself and take my kids there. I saw them as a sort of a fun and educational way to spend the day. Last year, Maris's book, Wild Souls, Freedom and Flourishing in the Non-Human World, won the Rachel Carson Environment Book Award and the Science in Society Journalism Award for books. Well, when I started really digging into zoos and sort of what they promise to the public and then what they deliver to the public, I became very disenchanted. And I've decided over time that the benefits of zoos probably don't outweigh the suffering that they cause to some of the animals that live there. How so? We hear about the benefits. What will people who who work at zoos and who run zoos tell you? It's all about conservation, right? Right. And if you look at the history of zoos, I mean, that's a relatively new development. Zoos used to just be for first, they were for sort of scientific purposes or for showing off the power and the might of whoever could collect that many exciting animals. They became just sort of a general entertainment. Um, And then it was more recently in the last few decades that the conservation focus has really completely taken over. So much so that, in fact, you have to have a conservation focus to be accredited by the AZA. But my look at conservation at zoos was not very uh, heartening. I, I found that a lot of it is essentially greenwashing. Define that. Okay, let's take the Dallas Zoo, for example. I just looked up their uh, tax form since they're a nonprofit. In 2021, their revenues were something on the order of $25 million. And they spent something on the order of about $40,000 on conservation. So they've got uh, elephants there, and they have a lot on their website about elephant conservation. They talk a lot about elephant conservation. But from what I can see from their tax statements, they sent a check to somebody in Sub-Saharan Africa for $33,000, and that was it. You know, the CEO makes $400,000 a year. Is that where all the money's going? Well, it's going there. It's going to keep their animals. It's not, you know, it's expensive to keep animals, uh, especially big animals like elephants. And of course, to advertising, uh, fundraising. They spent $47,000 on fundraising. So, I mean, it's a big, it's a big institution with a lot of costs. Very little of the revenue finds its way to wild animals. And now, Chris, I don't know about you, but I've always loved the zoo. Always been a big fan. It's a place I enjoyed visiting as a kid, and I took my kids many times over the years. Yeah, I agree. And not to keep referencing locations in North Texas, but I grew up in a Dallas suburb, and I think I've spent more time at the Fort Worth Zoo than the Dallas Zoo. Just school field trips, it's a good date spot, just a place that's fun to kind of escape for a few hours. Fort Worth Zoo's fantastic. Even the biggest fans of the Dallas Zoo will tell you that. In fact, my daughter and I, we got to spend the night once at the Fort Worth Zoo. It was an Indian princess sleepover. They brought out all sorts of small animals for the girls to play with. You know what their favorite was? They loved the armadillo. The armadillo. I guess maybe they just never seen one that wasn't flattened on the highway. And then you mentioned the suffering. Do all animals in zoos suffer? Because, I mean, I go to the zoo and I look and some of them look like they're kind of okay with it. Yeah, I agree with that. I think some of them probably are okay with it. I think it depends a lot on the size of the animal, sort of the cognitive needs of the animal. The tricky thing, though, is that the animals that are the most popular with the public are the same ones that do the worst. So the primary example is the elephant. Elephants do not do well in captivity. Studies show they die much earlier 
They have a lot of problems, just physical problems from standing on hard surfaces and a lot of emotional and mental problems from being cooped up and not having the kind of social interaction that they're used to. But elephants are the number one draw for zoos. Every zoo wants elephants. And then some of the other animals that show a lot of what they call stereotypies or repetitive behaviors like pacing, pulling out their own hair, kind of rocking back and forth. And these are often the big cats, the bears, large predators in particular. Again, animals that are the really popular ones that people like to see. You mentioned that and the mistreatment of elephants and big cats and bears. This is one of the reasons that circuses have kind of gone by the wayside. Are zoos going down that road too? I mean, time will tell. So obviously, you know, the public has pretty firmly, I think, turned its back against using animals in a circus type setting for entertainment. But because zoos present themselves as sort of progressive conservation organizations and they have these very naturalistic settings for their animals, I don't think people are quite there yet. But I don't think those animals are typically very happy. And because those animals are never going to get let out, returned to the wild, those kind of animals that have lived in captivity can't be returned to the wild. The fact that they're breeding them for display is, I think, something that the public will eventually turn against. And then the other side, the flip side of this is any possible danger to the public. Are there cases where animals have successfully escaped from zoos? Yes. You know, there's a fascinating book called Fear of the Animal Planet by Jason Treball, which I read when I was researching my book. And it goes into great detail about a huge number of zoo escapes. And there have been a lot. And, you know, the lesson that he draws from it is that many animals want out. Many animals do not want to be in zoos. And when they are presented with an opportunity to leave, they will take it. And that that's an indication to us that they would prefer not to be in a cage. There's a guy named David Hannix, who is a zookeeper in Seattle, where I'm from. And he wrote a book about zoos that he said that they exemplify our reverence for, for nature and for wild animals, but also our urge to dominate them. There's a paradox there. We want to love these animals and see them and pay homage to them, but we also kind of want to control them. And I think the zoo has both of those impulses inside of it. You're saying that. And, and as you're saying it, I'm thinking of Tiger King. That show must have made you crazy. You know, obviously those animals weren't happy. Anyone could see that. Anyone could see that that what was going on there was not not okay. Now, are the tigers in sort of modern, up-to-date, accredited zoos anywhere near as unhappy as those tigers? I don't think so. But are they as happy as tigers that are not in a cage? I don't think that. And that's not alone. There's that zoo in Oklahoma, but there's these sanctuaries and refuges across the country. People keeping these animals as pets, wild animals as pets. Well, there was recently a law passed that's going to make it a little more difficult to have uh, wild cats, big cats as pets. So there's been some some movement in that. I think one distinction that's important to make for your listeners is between these kind of more roadside attraction type places and then zoos. And then on the third hand, you have legitimate sanctuaries or refuges. What differentiates those from a zoo or from one of these Tiger King style places is that they would never breed their animals. They are only taking care of them because they can't get out. And the focus is on the well-being of the animals and not so much on the visitor experience. What are the answers then? I mean, if we, we want to see wild animals and we can't afford to go to Africa, what's the solution? Well, I think the solution is, is that zoos could really transform into something that's a little more like refuges. The first step really is to just stop breeding animals for display because I don't think that's fair to them. So then what you do is you take care of the animals that you have, give them as good a life as possible for the rest of their natural lives. And then you can focus more intensively on animals that are local to your ecosystem that you can let out someday. 
you know, there's a zoo up in Maryland that's breeding wood turtles, but they let them out every once in a while. I'm sure any zoo in any area could focus on some sort of projects like those where they could be introducing the public to their local animals. Now, is a wood turtle as amazing to see as an elephant? No, it's not. But I think that a kid can get as excited about a wood turtle if you frame it right for them. And we have other ways that we can see big wild animals besides going to Africa. Documentary films and, you know, going to refuges for the, for the last ones that are still remaining. I think that ultimately for me, the pleasure of seeing a big animal in person is just not worth that animal having to spend its entire life being looked at and not being able to be free. Very good point. And you're really throwing some shade at wood turtles. Oh, the wood turtles. I would go, I would definitely cross the street to see some wood turtles. I love turtles. I'm a big turtle fan. How about success stories of endangered species being reintroduced into the wild? The Arabian oryx is an example. This is a really cool looking ungulate species uh, that was bred in zoos and then re-released. And the California condor, some of your listeners will remember when the California condors were all taken into captivity and bred in zoos, and now those are back out again, you know, around the Grand Canyon and in the West. So there are a few of these great kind of great stories, but they're really much the minority. So the AZA has something like 6,000 different species in their zoos across the country. And there's really only about, I'd say, half a dozen or a dozen cases of animals being let back out. So for the vast majority of zoo animals, there's no opening of the cage. They'll stay in the zoo for the rest of their lives, and all of their children will stay in their zoo in the zoo for the rest of their lives, too, indefinitely. I wish there were more examples I could throw at you because it is an exciting and hopeful narrative. To me, it's a lot more exciting and hopeful and a lot more inspirational than just endlessly breeding tigers so that people can look at tigers. Wow, that kind of makes it hard to view animals at the zoo in the same light as you did as a kid. It really does. So I had to ask her, do you still go to the zoo? No, I don't. I find it kind of sad, you know, I'd have to say. But you know what I do love is a botanical garden. I can really get behind a botanical garden. I don't think the plants are being mistreated. No, I think they love it. All right, now, Chris, we mentioned the happy news involving this most recent monkey incident. What's the update? Well, we know they've been found, but the news just this morning, and we're recording this on Friday, February 3rd, was that police have arrested a 24-year-old and charged him with six counts of animal cruelty. All those charges are in connection to the monkeys specifically, but police said further charges are possible. The craziest part? Police found the man because they got a tip that he was at the Dallas Aquarium. Was he going to kidnap some fish, too, maybe? Who knows? I don't know. And what was the motive? It's just crazy. The whole thing is just bizarre. They found these monkeys in in the bedroom closet of an abandoned house in a Dallas suburb. It's just wild. I'm Mike Rogers, and thanks for listening to Something Offbeat. This episode written and produced by Lauren Berry and Chris Blake. Audio editing by Chris Blake. Original music by Myron Kaplan and editorial support from Cooper Mall. To keep listening, please subscribe to us on the Odyssey app or Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have your own offbeat story that you think we should cover, please send it to us at somethingoffbeat at odyssey at A-U-D-A-C-Y dot com. Thank you.